Well, the Gonzaga Bulldogs haven't fallen victim to the transfer portal very often. We examine why that is and what has happened to those who do leave Mark Few's program. Don't go away. It's right after this. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates through another season of Gonzaga basketball. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, we are starting off today's show with a spillover mailbag question. question was actually asked last week, and I forgot to include it on Monday's show, so we're going to talk about it here today. It's also a good opportunity to talk a little bit more broadly about the transfer portal and how it has impacted Gonzaga. Uh, The question here comes from Gordon via Gmail. Gordon says, there are a number of Zags not currently in the regular rotation who could transfer to any number of other D1 programs and be in the starting rotation. Why do so few transfer? Yeah, Gonzaga really hasn't been bitten by the transfer portal bug, as it were. Uh, They've obviously utilized the transfer portal well before it was even known as the transfer portal before when players, of course, had to sit out a year. They've brought in tons and tons of marquee talent. Kyle Wilcher, Jonathan Williams, Brandon Clark are just three of many great examples of players who have come to the program, uh, chose to sit out a year voluntarily, and have obviously developed into superstars. Nigel Williams-Goss would be remiss if I did not include him as well. Of course, Gonzaga has also brought in a lot of graduate transfers even before the NCAA allowed student-athletes to transfer penalty-free. Uh, they were finding ways ways to incorporate players into their roster on a year-in and year-out basis, players like Gino Crandall, Byron Wesley, Jordan Matthews, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But since the NCAA has loosened the rules and since we've seen this huge influx of players entering the transfer portal, 1,400 or so uh, on a yearly basis, a number that could conceivably grow before it gets smaller uh, until the NCAA perhaps reins it in a little bit in in regards to the rules here. Uh, Gonzaga just hasn't really, this hasn't been a big issue for them. And there's, it's kind of a a multiple reasons for, I can't speak to anybody currently on the roster. Obviously there is always the potential that this will be a year where we see more players choose to leave after the year. I I don't know what players are are currently kind of going through thinking how, how things, you know, there's obviously so many factors at play that are just hard to, to really pin down some of the specific situations with regards to this team. But a couple of, of notes on, on the topic in general. Uh, number one, the program develops talent really, really well. I think that's the, that's the main thing. That's a selling point for Gonzaga. It's what Mark Few, it's what the, the assistant coaches, Roger Powell, Stephen Gentry, Brian Michelson, it's what they're out there on the streets convincing kids of proving to them. Uh, and it doesn't take a lot to prove it to them. You can look back at players like Kelly Olynyk, And if you don't want to go back that far to find a player who developed uh, somewhat gradually in Gonzaga's program, you can look far more recently. Corey Kisper returned to school and became a borderline lottery pick, 15th overall pick. Rui Hachimura didn't look like he understood basketball in his first couple years at Gonzaga, quite honestly, and he ended up becoming the ninth overall pick in the draft. We're going to talk a lot more about him later in the podcast. Uh, Joel Iai, a guy who, who played very sparingly in his first couple of years, ended up developing into a really, really solid piece for the Zags. There are tons of other examples. These are just a few from from recent years who we've really seen kind of blossom and develop 
over their time in a Gonzaga uniform. And I think using that as a selling point for players who come into the program is like, hey, maybe you don't play right away. And, and I'm sure that Mark Few and the staff always give guys opportunities to compete for playing time. It's never like, hey, we're guaranteeing you you're not going to play early. You're going to get a shot. You're going to get a shot to play. You're going to go against the best players in the country. You're going to go against Drew Timmy in practice every day. You're going to go up against so-and-so uh, you know, in, in practice and games. You're going to see all these opportunities. And then maybe you don't play a ton of the game situations, but maybe you do next year. Maybe it's even a two-year plan, and maybe it's year three that you blow up. But we see that at Gonzaga, you can have a couple quiet years, one really good year, and be gone. I mean, it ha- again, Rui's an example. Corey Kispert's an example. Like, it happens with a lot of players in this program. So I think for a lot of guys, they're, they're bought into the program. They're bought into Gonzaga. They're bought into the coaching staff, the development staff, the, everything that goes on in Spokane. And they believe, like, I am willing to wait here. I'm willing to put two years in. I'm willing to put three years. I'm willing to put all four years in because I know that eventually I will get my opportunity. Anton Watson, a good example as well. He was asked to take on a smaller role, maybe longer than he would have wanted to. The 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 arrival of Chet Holmgren kind of pushed him back onto the kind of the back burner in terms of being a, a dynamic playmaker, playmaker and the kind of basketball player we've seen him blossom into this year. He, he may have been able to be that guy a year earlier, you know, and maybe he wouldn't have been as refined at it. And uh, that's probably part of what he was able to develop behind the scenes, getting to go up against Chet and Drew every day in practice. Can't imagine that hurt his development in any capacity, but being willing to wait it out and being willing to, to not necessarily feel like I have to go somewhere right away to play Part of that is is Gonzaga recruits the kind of people who are willing to do that. Other programs recruit based purely on talent alone uh, or other factors that may come into play, and, and they see a lot more transfers because guys don't play everywhere. You can't play every single person all the time. And so guys who, who come to the, every program thinking – or other programs thinking, I'm going to play right away, I'm going to play big minutes, you see those programs lose a lot more talent. So for Gonzaga to not be losing that talent is, is a promising sign. A couple other factors as well – uh, Gonzaga does lose talented players. They just don't of, often transfer. Gonzaga has seen players leave early for the NBA draft. I know this uh, community ha- has a lot of thoughts about Zach Norvell in particular and the belief that he should have stayed a little bit longer. And obviously things did not pan out for him at the professional level. But that's an example of a guy not choosing to transfer necessarily, but choosing to leave the program a little bit earlier. We also see this a lot with international players. Martinez Arlauskas just left last year to go play professionally overseas. Uh, Philip Petrusev is perhaps the more notable example of a player who left early. And, and he left the program early in part because of what the playing time situation would have looked like. Drew Timmy just looked flat out better than him uh, as a freshman. And, and Petrusev left because he wanted an opportunity to do some more different stuff on the basketball court. And it panned out for him. He went to, to uh, Serbia and played extremely well when the MVP of the league that he played in and ended up parlaying that into getting drafted in the NBA where he hasn't played yet, but he has been drafted in the NBA that may not have happened out of Gonzaga. So I, th- I, I think Gonzaga doesn't have as many transfers in part because of the way that the program recruits the type of player that they recruit, uh, the way that they develop, the way that they convince players to stick around because of that development. Uh, And then I think also there's an element of other players leaving early to go play professionally uh, and some players leaving early to go back home and play professionally overseas. So it's kind of a a twofold, threefold situation. But uh, looking back at some of the other players who have transferred, there's only two players currently who have transferred out of Gonzaga who are still playing Division I basketball. Those two players are both at the University of Arizona with Tommy Lloyd, of course, of course, the most notable example and probably the most notable example of a player succeeding after transferring out of Gonzaga of all time 
is center for the Arizona Wildcats, Umar Bala. Bala, of course, followed Tommy Lloyd to Arizona. It's a totally understandable situation. Lloyd is who recruited him. He recruited him out of Mali. He's been following this kid since he was a, a teenager. Uh, Balo didn't play very much as a freshman, didn't see opportunity to play much with Chet Holmgren coming in the next year. He decided to follow Tommy to Arizona. Makes sense to me. Totally makes sense. Played well in a reserve role in 21-22, has broken out into a legitimate star here in 2022-23. He's averaging 16 points, nine boards, just under two blocks uh, on 65% shooting. He's been one of the best bigs in the country. Uh, of course, Gonzaga, you never like to lose talented players like that. But again, totally makes sense that this happened. Uh, Matthew Lang is a walk-on. He was a walk-on at Gonzaga. Uh, basically left to go be a walk-on at Arizona. Friends with Rem Bacamus wanted to be around Tommy, wanted to be in another environment, grad transfer, get his degree at Arizona. Not not exactly a devastating loss for Gonzaga in terms of production on the court uh, and kind of a, just a, a situation that I don't think should rankle any Gonzaga fans. It's nice to see uh, Matthew having fun, succeeding, being alongside some of his friends at Arizona. Other than that, Will Graves did transfer last year. He's playing at Southern Oregon right now. I wanted to give him a shout out because he is playing ball and he's actually playing good ball for Southern Oregon, 12 points, three and a half rebounds per game. Uh, of course, that's not at the division one level, but still very cool to see him transfer. Uh, we'll go through these pretty quick before we get into the second segment, but there are a couple of guys who have transferred over the past five years. Uh, you just don't see a lot of guys transfer and have a lot of success. Aaron Cook is the most recent transfer outside of those guys. Uh, he of course was a graduate transfer at two years of eligibility when he came to Gonzaga after three years at Southern Illinois, uh, didn't play a ton at Gonzaga in part because of the surprise eligibility of Andrew Nembhard. So after the year, instead of sticking it out for a second year, he decided to go to Georgia, became a starter at a Power 5 program. You can't blame him in your final season of eligibility, taking an opportunity to go start for an SEC school. Yeah, Georgia's a bad SEC school, but still, he only played, I think he, he averaged like three points per game for Gonzaga. He goes to Georgia, averages 10.5 points, 5.5 assists. I understand that. That makes sense to me. Now he's playing professional basketball overseas. Uh, the last few guys to transfer out of Gonzaga after that, none of them really panned out to have careers uh, basically at all after they left Gonzaga. Pavel Zakharov uh, went to Cal Baptist. He only played 10 minutes per game in four games and then just disappeared. I don't know what happened after that. He was he was not on the roster anymore. I never got an answer from anybody at Cal Baptist. He was just gone. I believe he's playing overseas now per his Instagram, uh, but I'm not sure what ended up happening at Cal Baptist. Greg Foster. Transferred to St. Joe's in the A-10 uh, after the 2018-2019 season. He sat out in 1920, and then he only played in three games for St. Joe's after that. I'm not sure if it was an injury situation or what happened there. And then the last player, the only other player to transfer out of Gonzaga in the last five years, Jesse Wade. He, of course, came to Gonzaga, had his Mormon mission, transferred to BYU, sat out in 2018-2019, only played nine games with BYU in that 1920 season. And then that was it for Jesse Wade. So we haven't seen a lot of players transfer successfully out of Gonzaga. Uh, and there's, as we talked about in the first part of the segment, a lot of reasons for that. Well, Rui Hachimura found himself a new home in Los Angeles with the Lakers. We discuss what this trade means for Rui and what it means for Corey Kispert in Washington. But first, today's episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, and that is FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. 
FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your pets for a chance at a bigger payout with same-game parlays. Maybe you like Gonzaga's odds to beat the spread on the road against Portland on Saturday, or maybe you like St. Mary's odds to keep it up against BYU. Either way, bet comfortably on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So basketball fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports partner of the NFL. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still Locked on Zags. And I want to thank you all again for making Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the brand new Locked on College Basketball podcast. It's everything you need to know about college hoops in one place. You can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on College Basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Well, Rui Hachimura has a new team. There was rumors swirling that the Washington Wizards were looking to trade their 2019 first-round pick. Rui, of course, the ninth overall pick in the 2019 draft, was an all-rookie contributor in his first year, has kind of seen his performance dip a little bit in the last couple of years. Of course, he missed a, a significant chunk of last season because of some mental health issues, ended up returning. Played well down the stretch, shot really well from deep, but has kind of developed into more of a ISO scorer. A, he's not a great defensive player. He's not a particularly good passer. Washington just kind of had too many players who fit the same bill. They were looking to trade Kyle Kuzma for a while, ultimately decided to keep Kuzma. Perhaps they think they can get an extension signed with Kyle. That might would probably be the only reason they would choose to trade a much younger asset in Rui as opposed to trading Kuzma. The trade market evidently was not particularly enthusiastic about Rui. Either that or Washington just took the first trade available to them, which would have been an odd decision because Rui wasn't dealt for all that much. The return from the Lakers to the Wizards was two, excuse me, three second round picks and guard Kendrick Nunn. Nunn is fine. He's a fine basketball player. He more fits a need for Washington in terms of having another guard on the roster, quite honestly, but it still felt like a pretty light return for a 24-year-old player who's averaged double digits points per game, who has shown the ability to be an elite mid-range scorer, an efficient scorer around the rim, and a developing outside shooter as well. Rui's a nice fit for the Lakers. There's been some debate on the internet about whether he actually is a good fit, whether the three-point numbers are going to keep up, et cetera, et cetera. I would highly recommend for anybody who's interested in learning more about Rui's fit with the Lakers, an incredible article written by Mark Schindler at Uproxx. It is fantastic. I will link to it in the show notes. I'm going to give you some information from said article here, uh, but it's a really fantastic look at what Rui brings to the Lakers. Uh, Simply put, Right now, especially with Anthony Davis hurt, the Lakers don't have any outside shooting. What that has created is a situation where there's a whole bunch of people just surrounding and swarming LeBron James. He hasn't been allowed to play the traditional three position. He is playing more of a four. Part of that is age and just kind of you don't have to be as mobile if you're playing the four position. But part of it is that every player above six foot six currently playing for the Lakers, uh, again, with Anthony Davis hurt, there's, they, don't, they can't stretch the floor. Thomas Bryant can't stretch the floor. Wenyan Gabriel can't stretch the floor. And so Rui comes in. He can stretch the floor. He can get, he forces defenders to respect him. He's a good enough outside threat. He's a good enough scoring threat that he that 
opposing teams can't put all of their attention on LeBron James at all the time. So I think that's going to help significantly. Beyond that, Rui, while he has been an inconsistent outside shooter in general, he is really good at shooting from the corner. 48% three-point shooter on catch-and-shoot threes from the corner this season. That is a huge asset for the Lakers. He can sneak around in the corner. He's been good at relocating after missing shots, relocating after the offense breaks down. I think it's a good situation for him to find himself with a playmaker like LeBron, as good as it gets in NBA history at, at playmaking, at finding open shooters, at doing that. And I think it's going to be a good fit for LeBron because, they again, they have another player who – command some attention offensively. Uh, Mark also mentioned in his article the ability to potentially try to get Rui into more situations where he can cut towards the basket. Rui's finished about 75% around the rim. He's really, really good at finishing around there, and Washington didn't really utilize those skills all that much. So Mark suggests finding ways to get Rui cutting to the basket, uh, getting some looks around the rim because that is a big strength of his. And then, of course, there's the defensive aspect. That's an area of concern for Rui. He hasn't been a good defensive player. Some people think that because of his length, because of his athleticism, that perhaps putting him in a different situation could kind of enact some of those defensive abilities. Uh, Mark suggests in the article potentially having Rui work more on being a primary defender, an on-ball defender, which is seems counterintuitive for a player who's not a good defensive player to put him into more situations where he's required to play defense. But he Rui really struggles as a ball watcher. He struggles off the ball because he's focused on where the ball is and he loses his man and stuff like that. And, and the Lakers have done this before. Kyle Kuzma, when he was with the Lakers before he ended up going to Washington, he wasn't a very good defensive player either. And the Lakers kind of pushed him to be more of a on-ball primary defensive player and it improved his skills as an as a overall defensive player. So they could try something similar with Rui, who has the size, who has the athleticism, uh, to potentially be a, a, a really challenging defensive player. Uh, but we just haven't seen that from him yet. So again, I'll link to the article for more information. But by and large, I think this is a really nice fit for Rui. In terms of the other zag that this impacts the most, that is, of course, Corey Kispert, the other player on the Washington Wizards, uh, who now seen, uh, of course, a former teammate in Rui depart, but has also seen some potential playing time open up at the forward positions. Right now, Corey has been playing almost exclusively at shooting guard for the Washington Wizards. That's probably not his ideal position in terms of his size, in terms of his athleticism. Uh, and so with Rui departing, you, you clear more room at the power forward, small forward positions. Right now, Daniel Gafford starting at the center. Chris Davs Porzingis is starting at the power forward. Kyle Kuzma is starting at the small forward. And you have Bradley Beal at shooting guard. And I think because Porzingis has been hurt, Kuzma has slid up to the small forward, or excuse me, the power forward position. That has opened up some more playing time at the small forward position. Denny Avdija is, of course, in that conversation. Will Barton is in that conversation as well. But Corey could start maybe playing some playing up a little bit, playing less at the shooting guard, more at the small forward position. Of course, Rui getting traded likely means that the Wizards are not going to trade Kyle Kuzma. Kuzma getting traded would have probably been a better benefit for Corey in terms of immediate playing time. Uh, but but again, I think this is still a good fit for Corey. Uh, Rui w- was one of the team's more consistent – I shouldn't say consistent. He shot a lot of threes. He wasn't particularly consistent in making them, but he shot a lot of threes. So for Washington, they need to replace that volume of outside shooting. Kispert is the Wizards' best three-point shooter. He is leading the team in three-point percentage, 41.7%. He's doing that on a decent volume of shots. He's also averaging 10 points, three boards, one and a half assists per game. I think there's an opportunity for 
Corey to get more looks, more outside shots, more volume, more ability to play at a more natural position at the three or maybe even at the four, depending on the health of Porzingis and any other potential moves that Washington might make. By and large, though, this is a benefit for Corey. It's a benefit for Rui. Two Zags getting a little bit of a better opportunity from now until the rest of the NBA season, in part because of this trade by the Washington Wizards and the Los Angeles Lakers. All right, folks, we're closing out the show looking at David Stockton's quest for G League history and updating you all on some other zags in the NBA right after this. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on zags. We're still talking zags in the NBA here on a quiet week with the Gonzaga men's basketball program not playing until Saturday on the road against the Portland Pilots. I want to start out here in the final segment talking about David Stockton. David Stockton recently moved into fourth place in G League history in assists. He now has 1,500 assists, excuse me, 1,506 assists that he has racked up in the G League. That is fourth place, passing Maurice Baker, Baker, excuse me, the names in front of him in the G League for assists. Will Conroy, who is a former University of Washington guard, played right around the same time as Brandon Roy. Uh, he has 1,765. Josh Maggette, 1,901. And the first place for G League assists, Curtis Stinson, 2,033. Uh, the only player out of this group who is still active is Josh Maggette, and Josh Maggette is not playing in the G League. He is playing in Australia in the National Basketball League over there. So the path for Stockton to continue to move up and kind of – potentially potentially carve his name in the record book as the G League's all-time assist leader. The path is there. The path is currently there. There's nobody playing in front of him who's continuing to rack up numbers. Now, he's got a long ways to go. He's got over 500, a little over 500 assists in order to catch up with Curtis Stinson in first place. He's got over 150 to get to Will Conroy just to move into third place. But right now, David's having one of the best seasons of his G League career. He's playing for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, an affiliate of the Indiana Pacers, and he's currently averaging eight and a half assists per game. So he is racking them up in the G League. Uh, shout out to David Stockton. You can also vote for G League All-Stars if you haven't done so yet. Just type G League All-Star Vote in Google. You can find a link. Uh, you can vote for Joel Eyai. You can vote for David Stockton. Both of them are having All-Star level campaigns in the G League, and I think it'd be cool for the first ever G League All-Star game to have at least one Gonzaga representative, perhaps two, uh, if we can get these guys voted in. And then I, I wanted to shout this out. I mentioned it on Twitter, but uh, John Stockton, obviously first in NBA history in assists. Uh, we've tracked Courtney Vandersloot's quest to be in first place in the WNBA in assists. She is currently in third place, uh, and it's going to be hard to catch Sue Bird, who's in first place. But Sue did just retire. If Courtney can be productive for three, four more seasons, uh, there's a chance that she could move into first place all time in WNBA assists and there's a chance David Stockton ends up in first place in G League history and assists. If the NBA, WNBA, and G League, the three most successful basketball leagues in the United States of America, there is a chance. It is an outside chance, but there is a chance that someday all three of those leagues have an assist leader from Gonzaga University, a little school in Spokane, Washington, dominating the passing game for basketball. What a story that would be. Something to keep an eye on for both Courtney Vandersloot and David Stockton going forward. All right, a couple more zags in the NBA that I want to give an update on. Again, I, I'm not usually able to update on every single zag throughout, throughout a show just because there's so many of them now playing in the league, but a couple guys who've seen their situation change a little bit. Uh, next up, Zach Collins. 
Uh, Zach Collins could take on a bigger role in San Antonio. We kind of talked about what the trade market did for Rui Hachimura. It's cleared him up to go to a better team, although not a particularly good team uh, with the Lakers, at least a better situation for him. It also helps Corey Kispert get potential for more playing time in Washington. Zach Collins is currently playing for the San Antonio Spurs. He is having the best season of his NBA career after missing so much time with injuries. He's currently averaging nine and a half points, 5.6 rebounds and 2.5 assists. Uh, Those are all career highs outside of the rebounds, which is only slightly below what he put up in just 11 games uh, during his final season in Portland before he got injured. Um, the Spurs are potentially going to trade center Jakob Pertl, uh, the very same Jakob Pertl who played at the University of Utah and got dominated by DeMontis Sabonis uh, in the second round of the 2016 NCAA tournament. A fun story there uh, for the Zags. But Jakob Pertl could end up getting traded. The Spurs are not particularly competitive. He's a highly sought-after player because of his defensive instincts. Uh, and it would clear up a lot of playing time for Zach Collins. Collins has already put up good numbers this year. He's playing about 21 minutes per game. 36 games, seven starts for Collins if the Spurs do trade Pirtle. And there's been some talk about Zach Collins being on the trade market, but not from anybody super plugged in. I think it's a lot of just bloggers who are speculating that he could be a trade candidate. I think the Spurs are more likely to keep Collins, trade Pirtle. He's older. He's uh, more valuable right now and get some uh, future assets out of Pirtle and then move Zach Collins into a bigger role. So something to keep an eye on for those of us who follow Zags in the NBA. Collins could see an increase in playing time and some of those fruits of his hard labor that he's put in over the last couple of years to get healthy and get right uh, could really show up in a major way if if he's productive down the stretch. Jalen Suggs returned from an injury that kept him out for a lot of November and all of December. Uh, He's been obviously so injury prone throughout his professional career. It's been a huge bummer to see that continue to impact him with the Orlando Magic. Uh, He's back, which is the good news. The bad news, he hasn't played well. Uh, He hasn't played well at all. And he's, he's just now getting acclimated back. To, to playing, and you can tell that they're easing him along a little bit. So it's probably not super cost for alarm, but in the last nine games since he returned from injury, he's only playing about 14 minutes per game. So again, being eased back into action, which at least kind of helps explain some of the numbers we've seen. But, I mean, it's it's been bad. Five points per game, uh, just under two rebounds per game, about one and a half assists per game. He's shooting less than 36% from the field. And the three-point shot, which hasn't been there for him throughout his career, is at 16%. Right now, we just got to hope that Suggs is still getting right. He's still getting 100% healthy. As he gets his feet under him, as he gets his legs going, gets starts to see those minutes increase, we'll start to see some of that production come back uh, because we know how good this, play, this guy is. We know how good he is. We haven't seen it at the NBA level except in flashes, but we know that it's there. Final player I want to talk about here before we close out the episode, Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark has been effective since missing time with an injury. He was out for about a couple weeks, I think. Uh, In the last six games since returning from an injury, his numbers look about the same as they have throughout the season. He's averaging 10.2 points per game, five and a half boards, 1.3 steals and assist, and a little less than a block per game. But he has been crazy efficient, 71.5% from the field for Brandon Clark. He has been kind of used primarily as a rim runner. That's really the only skill that he's kind of not the only skill, but that's that's the primary offensive use for him, rolling to the rim, getting offensive rebounds, scoring around the basket. He's not stretching the floor, which is good because Memphis attempted to have him be more of a floor-spacing big, and it just didn't work. It's not really in his skill set. He's a shot blocker. He's a high-energy big, a defensive player, uh, offensive rebounder, rim runner, dunker, that kind of player. And Memphis is utilizing him in such a way. I think he could play more. He's only averaging about 18 minutes per game right now. But I do think that Memphis is a really good team. And when you're on a really good team, 
good players don't play as much. Just that's just that's the reality. If you're a good player on a bad team, you play 35 minutes a game. If you're a good player on a really, really good team, you just don't get to see as much playing time. That's kind of the situation that Clark is in. Be interesting to see. Obviously, after signing his extension, I think Brandon Clark's going to be around for a while, but it'll be interesting to see if he continues to be used in this kind of bench role, 18, 20 minutes energy guy, or if he starts to see his playing time tick up, uh, either because Memphis moves on from other players or, or what will shake down in the next couple of years for Brandon while he's uh, with the Memphis Grizzlies. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the new podcast, Locked On College Basketball. Myself, Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels. We're the two co-hosts. We break down every every single one of the big stories in college hoops five times per week. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. You can also find it on YouTube. While you're there, go find Locked On Zags. Hit the subscribe button for both. It takes 10 seconds, and it is very, very much appreciated by myself and by Isaac and the Locked On podcast community. Uh, Again, I want to thank you all for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. And of course, as always, go Zags.